Well, good morning. Welcome to St. Paul's Blur Street. We're so glad you've joined us today. Uh, those of you in person, uh, those of you who are joining us online, and a warm welcome if it's your first time. What do you think the connection is between our work and our rest? On average, we spend about a third of our life uh, working, we spend about a third sleeping, and then we have a third for everything else. On any given week, you might spend more time with your work colleagues than your closest friends or your spouse or your kids. And whether we trade currencies or run a bakery or are raising children at home, our work is a defining aspect of our lives. And thanks to technology, uh, the lines between work and rest are increasingly blurred. I remember when Tim was articling as a young lawyer and he came home from his first week of work, he was all excited about the beautiful new offices downtown. Jenny, there's even a room where you can sleep and they'll handle your dry cleaning. Actually not great news, right? We're on our fourth week of our summer teaching series, 10 Words for Life, looking at the Ten Commandments and how they are life-giving. And while none of us wants to be told what to do, I think we all want to know what the right way to live is, whether you're spiritually searching this morning or you're already learning how to follow Jesus. And the fourth commandment is this. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. What's the relationship between our work and our rest? And how could the gift of Sabbath transform both our work and our rest? I want to do a few things this morning. First, I want to look at how the Bible understands our work. Then let's look at this uh, commandment in its original context. And finally, let's see how the Sabbath can transform both our work and our rest right here in the city. So first, how does the Bible understand our work, our employment? It's kind of funny that we celebrate Labor Day by not working, or we work to afford a vacation, or we spend the bulk of our adult life in the workforce so we have enough to retire on, or as the indie band Hardfi sings, we're living for the weekend. We tend to work in order not to work. But our passage this morning from the Old Testament book, Deuteronomy, it's interesting, verse 13. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. Notice what the ratio is, right? It's like six to one. Six days for work and one day for rest. What that rest is supposed to look like, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it in a few minutes. But in the biblical worldview, work, and plenty of it, is an essential part of the flourishing human life. And in fact, it's a gift from God because it's where we get to use our talents and our abilities to serve and love other people. In fact, our work, our employment, is the main vehicle that God uses to lovingly provide for the world. Whether you're a farmer or an investment banker, a custodian, a painter, a nurse, which is why unemployment can be so painful. The Bible has an incredibly positive view of our work, and no work or employment is considered menial or void of dignity and the potential for fulfillment. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis, the very first thing that God does is God creates, God works. 
and is described using the image of a gardener. And then in the New Testament, we encounter God and the man Jesus, and his trade was carpentry. In fact, as we're going to see, we rest. We're given the gift of a weekly Sabbath so we can work, not the other way around, so we can be part of how God is caring for and loving the world. So secondly, what did the fourth commandment mean in its original context? This is God speaking. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your ox or your donkey, any of your livestock, or the resident alien in your towns, so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember, remember, you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. It's a fascinating rationale for keeping the Sabbath. We're in approximately 13th century BCE in the Israelites. They were slaves in ancient Egypt and uh, disposable human fodder in Pharaoh's building machine. Like how many successful workers' comp claims do you think were filed while the pyramids were being built? God then chooses a man named Moses, right, who definitely had anger management issues but God only has sinful people to work with. And then God uses fiery Moses to initiate the mother of all showdowns with Pharaoh, probably Ramses II, and eventually succeeds in leading the Israelites out of slavery. And as a key marker of what this new life of freedom could practically look like, as the fourth of the 10 loving laws that God gives us to maximize our freedom and pleasure, God gives the gift of Sabbath. Sabbath is a weekly reminder, a weekly reenactment of emancipation from slavery. Don't forget, says God, you used to have no choice about whether to rest or to work. That choice was made for you day in, day out, and it was reinforced with bullwhips in case you needed reminding. Remember, says God. Was there something about those days you're pining for? Are you nostalgic for the galley masters and the pit guards, longing for the sting of the whip and the taste of blood between your teeth? I rescued you from slavery. Don't go back. Don't throw away the choice between work and rest that I've gifted you. The Sabbath legislation in the fourth commandment, where no one is to work, not even the animals, for one day a week, that was unique amongst world cultures at the time. Sabbath was a gift for the entire society, not just the affluent. It limited work and profit-taking, and it put a boundary around exploitation. And in the short run, of course, this a weekly day of rest for the entire nation, presumably it made Israel less profitable um, than its neighboring uh, nations, less, less productive, but they were a land of free people. And speaking as an employer myself, rested people are far more creative and hardworking. So how does this gift of Sabbath, this weekly reenactment of freedom from slavery, how does it transform both our work and our rest? Well, our work, for starters, it enables our working lives to actually be sustainable. And 
If work is a key aspect of a flourishing human life, then Sabbath is non-negotiable, right? Notice that it's a command from God, and the perspective that rest gives us allows us to return to do better and more effective work. Practicing Sabbath can also function as an alarm bell for when our work has become unhealthy or it's become uh, an idol. And if there is not one day in a week where you don't have to check email, you just might be a slave. <laughs> you might be a highly paid one at the top of the food chain, but you're still not free. But on a deeper level, a deeper level, our work can be transformed because observing the Sabbath is a refusal to go back to Egypt. It's a declaration of freedom from this city's expectations of you, your father's hopes, your business school's demands, or your own insecurities. Because practicing the Sabbath is a rhythm of weekly trust. Trust that God is actually the one who keeps the world running, right? God's actually the one who's providing for your family and trust that it's not even really you who keep moving your work projects forward. Imagine that. I brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. I can do this, says God. You can trust me. Trust me that one day out of seven, those bills will get paid, right? The kids are gonna grow up all right and you just might still have a social life. This rhythm of weekly trust in God is incredibly psychologically helpful freeing, one might say, for how we experience our work. Sabbath also has the power to transform our rest, because while it is a command from God, it's also a gift, not a reward for a job well done. One of the most powerful lies that swirls around is that we will never do enough right, or, or that anything worthwhile in life, you've got to earn, you get what you pay for. We're inclined to believe these kinds of lies because they do have a veneer of credibility. I remember when our uh, three girls were small uh, during my first uh, tour of duty here at St. Paul's, and one day our youngest daughter, I was at home, and one day our youngest daughter was napping, and I decided to lie down on the sofa instead of actually checking my email or figuring out what I was gonna feed our own little zoo for dinner. And a minute had not gone by when that Egyptian taskmaster in my head started striding over towards me on that sofa, holding a bullwhip over me. What do you think you're doing, Jenny? You've got three small children, a job, hardworking husband. You can't lie down. Have you returned that call to your mother? Your closet is not gonna clean itself. And do you always just want to be an associate priest? What kind of time waster are you? It's a powerful lie because it's got some truth in it. And slave masters always couch their tirade in just enough reality to let the sting of the whip hit your back. Because there is no end of things to do. There are people who feel let down by me. I can procrastinate and then expect everyone to treat my lack of planning as their emergency. So the lie can grow into a belief that I have no right to rest. And you know what? Even that's actually true. I don't have a right to a lot of things that my culture claims I have a right to. I don't have a right to my health or my friends or my daughters, and I don't even have the right to rest. 
But this is where the truth about God, who is revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, stands out like a sparkling jewel in our world. God really couldn't care less what my rights are. And that is such good news. What God cares deeply about are my needs. And we deeply need the rest that God offers us week in and week out. Sabbath is not a reward for finishing our work because there's always more work to do. Sabbath is sheer gift. And the giving of gifts with no strings attached is the consistent calling, God, calling card of the God we meet in Jesus. Forgiveness is a gift. Hope is a gift. Purpose and direction in life is all pure gift from God in Jesus Christ. Gift for every single one of us here today, even if, even if it's your first time. Sabbath is not the break that we take at the end of a list of tasks we've completed. No, it's the rest that God gives us as freedom from slavery right in the middle of all the tasks, right? Rest without apology, without guilt, with no better reason than God told us to. Sabbath can transform our actual rest because not only is it a rhythm of trust, it's also a rhythm of grace. A rhythm of grace that reflects the graciousness of our God. Let's end practically. If our weekly Sabbath is also meant to be a foretaste of the heavenly rest that can be ours one day, what does that look like? Three quick encouragements. Number one, make Sundays really special. If you've got children, make it the day you do something fun, right? Toys or games you only play with on Sunday or you have special food. In our house, it was pizza and family movie night. Of course, it's because we were so tired, but the kids thought it was great. Or make Sunday the day that you see a friend who encourages you. Or Sunday's the day that at night you just eat all the Haagen-Dazs, right? Two, we're told to keep the Sabbath day holy, which means set apart for God's purposes. So make gathered worship of God a number one priority, which is what you're doing this morning. More important than children's sports, more important than brunch. And if you're in the city, we wanna worship God with you. If you're traveling up north, Go to the local church. Join us online every Sunday. It's a gift. We all need it, and so do our children. Three, take some avocational and aesthetic time. An avocation is something that you enjoy, right? It, it requires some skill, but it's not how you earn your living. I don't know, maybe it's cycling or hockey or singing, and it can renew you in ways that your job, your employment can't. Take some aesthetic time. We're told in the book of Genesis that God rested from creating the world to enjoy creation. God looked at the world and was like, wow, this is good. Take time to do basically anything that is not doom scrolling through your feed. Enjoy great food or some wonderful music. Enjoy and say, oh, this is good. These Sabbath rhythms of trust rhythms of grace. They are gifts of freedom from our loving Heavenly Father. 
Observe the Sabbath day. Keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Thanks be to God. Amen.